Well, let's pray, and then we will dive into God's Word together this morning. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that we have this opportunity to gather together and to worship you and to open up your Word. Lord, we thank you that as we open your Word, you speak. And Lord, I, I pray today that you would speak through me. Lord, I pray you give us hearts to hear and apply the word to our lives. We surrender ourselves in this time to you, Lord Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to join me in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your copy of God's word, to turn there if you haven't already. If you want to use God's word on your iPhone or some other electronic device, join me in Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we started what is the home stretch in the book of Hebrews. We moved into Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at the first three verses of what's commonly called the Hall of Faith last week. And what we saw as we looked at those three verses is that a life of faith pleases God. And Pastor Jerry shared this acrostic with us last week for faith. And each one of these letters represents an attribute about faith that we will see as we walk through Hebrews chapter 11. Faith focuses on the unseen rather than the seen. Faith is active obedience to God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is trust in God and His Word And faith helps us in a variety of situations and outcomes. This morning, we are going to hone in on the A aspect of faith, active obedience to God. Now, as we look at verses 4 through 7 of chapter 11, we're going to see other attributes of faith. Verse 6 tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. We're going to see Noah trust God and his word. But we're going to focus in on what active obedience looks like by faith. Because as we move further into chapter 11, the author is going to give us examples from the Old Testament of what faith looks like. Of what it looks like to live by faith. So before we dive in this morning, I want to ask you this question. How do you live out faith every day? How do you live out faith Every day, And not just spiritually, but just in general. In a moment, I'm going to give you a minute to turn to your neighbor and discuss this question. But I want to give you an example to maybe help get the ball rolling a little bit for your discussion. This morning, I have observed every single one of you demonstrate faith in the time that you've been here today. I did not see a single person walk in this morning and inspect their chair to see if it would hold their weight when they sat down. Everyone that I saw just came in and sat down, having faith that the chair would support your weight. So turn to your neighbor and take a minute and discuss this question. How do we live out faith every day in our lives?
All right, let's hear, let's hear what some of your examples were. What are some ways that we show faith every day in our lives? We don't. What were some of the things you discussed with your neighbor? Driving takes a lot of faith, absolutely. You should come hang out with our teenagers. They're starting to get their license. You'll believe that even more. How else, Christian? Trusting God in every step. Any other thoughts? Knowing that God is with us in everything as we walk with Him. Is anybody planning to go out to eat to lunch today at a restaurant? I see a couple hands. Hopefully they will cook your food all the way, Bruce, and you won't get any diseases from that. We demonstrate faith every single day in our lives, and in a lot of ways, we don't even think about it. All right? When I get in the truck every morning, I don't think, man, I'm putting faith in every single person that I pass on the road between my house and the office. All right? When I go out to eat, I don't consciously think, man, I'm putting faith in whoever's cooking my burger. I hope it's cooked, and I hope it's actually hamburger meat. <laughs> but we demonstrate faith every single day in our lives. This morning, we're going to look at three examples of faith from the Old Testament. And as we do, we will see that living by faith influences every area of our life. Living by faith influences every area of our life. It influences how we worship. It influences how we walk with God. It influences how we respond To the Word of God. So let's dive in, starting in verse 4 of chapter 11, and then we will walk through it together. Starting in verse 4, it reads By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So here in chapter 11, starting in verse 4, the author of Hebrews takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. He takes us all the way back to the story of Cain and Abel just after Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden for their rebellion, for their choosing to sin. And we're going to pick it up in the middle of verse 2 in Genesis chapter 4. It says, Now Abel kept flocks 
and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So Abel was a keeper of sheep. He was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. He was one that worked the soil. And in the course of time in Genesis chapter 4, both of them brought an offering to the Lord. Both of them brought a sacrifice to the Lord. And for them, this was also an act of worship. Worship in the Old Testament looked different than worship does for us today. Okay, When we gather together, normally we sing, we spend some time in prayer, we study the Word, we hear a message from the Word. We don't generally sacrifice live animals when we gather together to worship. I kind of thought about it this morning, but Richard already wants new carpet in the worship center, and I didn't think he'd like that idea. No, I didn't really think about it this morning. But for Cain and Abel, coming to make this sacrifice was also an act of worship for them. Now, we no longer do that because of Jesus. With his death on the cross, Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin. There is no need to sacrifice for sin anymore because Jesus has already done that for us. So our worship looks a little different than theirs did. Not only did they bring this sacrifice as an act of worship, it was also a way of seeking forgiveness of sins. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see that the people of Israel did this day after day, year after year, all the way up until the death of Jesus. And in Genesis 4, what we see is that God accepted Abel and his offering... But God rejected Cain, and God rejected Cain's offering. Why is that? Now, we don't know for sure why God rejected Cain, because Scripture does not clearly say this is the reason why. Jewish tradition gives us three suggestions as to why Cain was rejected, though. The first one was that there was something wrong with how he made his offering. Ritually, there was something wrong with the process that Cain used to bring his offering to the Lord. The second suggestion is that the quality of his offering was an issue. But here's the thing. If it was a quality issue, The issue had to be that he did not bring the first fruits from the harvest. 
The quality issue was not that he brought fruit from the ground as opposed to a blood sacrifice. And we know that because later in the Old Testament, when God gives his law to the people of Israel, he commands them to bring the first fruits of the harvest to him as an offering in sacrifice. So if there was an issue with the quality in Cain's offering, it's that he didn't bring the first to the Lord. I think the third suggestion, however, is probably the best. And it's that Cain's character was morally wrong. There was an issue with Cain's character. Cain had a heart issue. He was not truly a believer in God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, John tells us that Cain belonged to the devil. In 1 John 3, 12, we read, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Every single time I've ever heard anyone talk about Cain or Abel, whether it was a Sunday school lesson, a sermon, or just an everyday conversation, that I can remember the focus has always been on what Cain did wrong, on why Cain was rejected. I think instead of asking why was Cain rejected, we should focus on what Abel did right and ask ourselves, what did Abel do that Abel and his offering were accepted? Well, Abel brought his best to the Lord. Abel brought his best as an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord. He brought the meat from the firstborn of his flocks. The best portion of meat Abel brought as a sacrifice and gave it as an offering to the Lord. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Back in Genesis chapter 4, we do not yet have a record of God saying, this is the way that you are to sacrifice to me when you come to bring an offering. Yet Abel's blood sacrifice foreshadowed the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. Not only did it foreshadow the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, but it pointed forward to the sacrifice of Jesus, to that ultimate and final blood sacrifice. You see, Abel understood that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we see that in Hebrews 9, verse 22. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly, nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is not forgiveness. Albert Moeller says, Abel understood that his greatest problem was that he was under divine judgment. And he needed a propitiatory sacrifice. His blood sacrifice pointed to his own sin and to his hope in God's provision 
of the sacrificial Savior. In Genesis chapter 4, Abel is already looking forward to the coming Christ. And his sacrifice shows us that. Shows us that. The third thing that Abel did right is that he sacrificed by faith. Because his sacrifice was in faith, it was through faith, his faith still speaks to us today. We read this in Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Because he sacrificed by faith, Abel is still an example for us today. And this brings us to our first point of application this morning. Worship by faith. Worship by faith. Now, what does that mean? Does worship by faith mean that we show up every Sunday morning And the three or four songs that we sing together as a body of believers, we sing with our whole heart. And then we listen to a message and we walk out and we think, okay, I've worshipped well this week. Is that worship by faith? If that is our mindset, if our mindset is that worship is only what we do for the 20 minutes that we sing when we're here together, then we need a new mindset. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we're told that we are to do all things to the glory of God. So we're going to define worship by faith this morning in two ways. One, it's like Abel bringing God our best. And the second way is doing all things to the glory of God. So what does that look like? How do we do that? That means, mom and dad, at home, you raise your children to the glory of God. You disciple your children to be followers of Jesus, to hunger and thirst for the Lord. Children and students, that means at home, you obey your mom and your dad, honoring the Lord. It means you interact with your siblings, even when they get on your nerves in a way that honors the Lord. It means at work and at school, we do our best to the glory of God. We don't do just enough to get by, right? just enough to make a passing grade, students. We do our best. We work our hardest to the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. All right? Students, if a C is your absolute best work and you work hard to the glory of God and you got a C... That's okay. Now, mom and dad might not say that's okay. You might need to work a little harder. So you got to take that up with them. But if you do your best and you do it to the glory of God, we leave the outcome up to the Lord. It means the way we interact with our neighbors and our coworkers, the way we spend our finances, our thought life, and our speech in everything, we give God our best and we do it to his glory. That's what it means to worship by faith. Because worship is not just singing a few songs. Worship should be our lifestyle. Our lives are to be living sacrifices 
to the Lord. The second example that the author of Hebrews gives us of active obedience to God is Enoch. And now the Bible tells us very little about Enoch's faith. In fact, other than here in Hebrews and Genesis chapter 5, he's only mentioned in a genealogy in Luke chapter 3 and once in Jude verse 14. So we don't know a lot about him. But if we go back to Genesis 5, starting in verse 21, this is what we read. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. Enoch walked so closely with God that he did not experience death. And we know this. We know that he had great faith because of Hebrews 11.6, which says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We know that Enoch had great faith because he pleased God so much that he did not die. God did not allow him to experience death. And he gave Enoch the reward of eternal life, which is the same reward God gives all those who earnestly seek him. This brings us to our second point of application this morning. Walk with God by faith. Walk with God by faith. But again, we have to ask, what does that look like? I think this has almost become just a churchy term. Walk with God or walking with Jesus or walking by faith. And if you're new to the faith or you're new to church, you may hear that and not really understand what it means. So I want to try to paint a picture for us of what it means to walk with God. And to do that, you're going to have to use your imagination this morning. Okay? I want you to imagine that you are going to go on a long hike with someone. This can be a spouse it can be a best friend, it can be a parent, a child, anyone that you want to spend time with, someone you want to spend some more time with, and you want to get to know better. All right, I want you to imagine that you're going to go on a long hike with this person. The mountain that you are going hiking on is well out of cell phone service, and you are the only two people on the entire mountain. You will not be distracted there will be no phone calls, no text messages. Nobody's going to come up and join your hike in the middle of it. It's just the two of you. And as you begin to hike, you notice the sounds of animals and running water, and you talk about the things that you hear and the things that you see. Maybe you see a tree that looks a little unique or a group of rocks that sticks out to you, and you talk about what you see and what you hear with this person that you're hiking with. But as you go along, you begin to just focus on this other person. These sounds and sights fall away. And you begin to focus just on the person that you're hiking with. And you begin to talk about your life. 
and the two of you share your joys with one another. You talk about the things that have brought you frustration or suffering lately. You talk about your hopes and your dreams, the things you hope to do one day in the future. And before long, you realize that you have grown closer to this person simply by spending this time on a hike with them. You know them more. Your friendship is sweeter. Your bond is stronger. And you desire to spend more and more time with this person. That's an idea of what it means to walk with God. You see, if we want to walk with God, we must spend time alone with Him regularly. Now, I understand that this can be extremely challenging in the world that we live in. There are distractions everywhere. There are things constantly fighting for your attention, fighting for your focus. But if you want to walk with God, you have to spend time alone, unplugged from technology, away from even other people, just you and God. And I know that can be very challenging. Start with five or ten minutes a day. Don't feel like you have to wake up and spend an hour or two or three hours alone with God to start with. I guarantee you, if you will start with five or ten minutes a day with no distractions and spend time alone with the Lord, you'll desire to do it more and more. But we don't only spend time with Him. We also talk to Him. Spend time in prayer. Just the way you would talk to someone, whoever you were hiking with. Tell God what's brought you joy. Tell God your frustrations. Tell God what you're suffering with. Tell God about your dreams and your hopes and the things you desire for the future. But it's not a two-way conver- it's not a one-way conversation. So we need to make sure we're in His Word daily, listening to Him speak. Make sure we're regularly in the Word. I've heard people say that they don't hear God speak. They can't hear the voice of God. I don't know that I've ever audibly heard the voice of God. But here's what I know. Every single time we open His Word, He speaks. Because His Word is alive. It is living and it is active. So the problem is never, is God speaking? The problem is, are we listening? Are we unplugging from everything else to spend time alone with God? And it's okay if you don't understand what you're reading. None of us is going to understand all of Scripture all the time. So if you read the Bible and you're like, man, this is confusing, welcome to the club. It's okay not to understand it all. Don't let that stop you from reading the Word. As you read, God's Holy Spirit will reveal truth to you. We must read the Word and be in the Word so we learn to obey the Word. And this brings us to our last example of obedience this morning, Noah. Noah is faithful because he trusted God about things not yet seen. 
in Genesis chapter 6, man had become so wicked and so evil that God decided to wipe man from the face of the earth. God decided to send a flood that would uncover the entire world. And the only people that were spared were Noah and his family. In Genesis 6, we pick up this story starting in verse 9. It reads, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So Noah built an ark. And I know what you're thinking. I look really good for somebody that was alive when Noah built the ark a few thousand years ago. This is in Kentucky. If you ever get the chance to go to the ark in Kentucky, I encourage you to go. It's built to the dimensions that God gave Noah in Genesis. It's a really cool experience if you ever get to go. In Hebrews 11, the author tells us that Noah built the ark in holy fear. Now, this doesn't mean that Noah was a fearful man. He was a timid man. It meant that Noah had a reverence and a respect for God. And so when God told Noah that he was going to do something that had never been seen before, that he was going to send a flood to cover the entire earth, Noah believed God. Noah trusted God's word, and he made preparations. He built an ark. He gathered the animals into it along with his family, and they survived the flood. Which brings us to our third point of application this morning. Obey the word of God by faith. Obey the word of God by faith. Now, to do this, again, you have to be in the Word. You don't have to understand all of the Word, but you have to be in the Word. Reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture. If we're going to obey the Word, we have to know what God says. Through his faith, through his belief and his actions, Noah condemned the people of his time. Noah was like a light in a dark room. Okay? Maybe you've walked into a room before not knowing what was in a room and because it was dark you got scared until you turned the light on and the light revealed what was in the room well when I was in middle school for like two years my family became fans of NASCAR and I became a Jeff Gordon fan I don't really know how it happened but at some point I had a life-size cardboard cutout of Jeff Gordon in my room and after those two years, I was no longer a fan of racing. I can't tell you the last time I sat down to watch a race. I'm sorry, TJ. And Jeff got moved out of my room into another room that we used as a home office. And many times, someone would come upstairs, because this room was across the hall from my room, 
And they would either not know that Jeff was in the home office or they would have forgotten and they would go in in the dark and they would see this outline of a man standing in the corner and they would scream. And then they turn the light on and they realize, oh, it's just Jeff Gordon hanging out in the corner over there. Noah's faith was like a light in the darkness. His faith and his belief and trust in God revealed the wickedness of mankind. And that is how they were ultimately condemned. Hebrews 11.7 tells us, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. All three of these this morning acted by faith. But who was their faith in? Because that matters. We started by seeing that we demonstrate faith every single day. But who your faith is in matters. You see, Abel and Enoch and Noah put their faith in Jesus. They trusted God, and they trusted God's word, and they looked forward to the cross. They looked forward to God's promise of the coming Messiah, and they believed, and they were commended for it. In the same way, believers put our faith in Jesus, only we look backwards to the cross. We look backwards to the one who died for our sins. It's faith in the same person. We put our faith in Jesus just like they did in his sinless life, in his death that paid the price for our sins, in his resurrection on the third day that gives us life. If you've never put your faith in him, I invite you to do that this morning. It's a decision you can make right now where you are. You can choose to surrender to Jesus and to follow him. That's the first step in living by faith. It's surrendering to Jesus. And then, like Abel, Enoch, and Noah, we learn to worship Jesus by faith. Walk with God by faith. And obey the word by faith. I want to give us just a few moments, just where you are to respond to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to give you a prayer starter. You, you can use it silently where you are. But here's that prayer starter. Lord, teach me to live by faith. And then you finish the prayer. Spend some time alone, just you and the Lord. Lord, teach me to live by faith.